And we'll begin. Again, good afternoon to the west coast of the United States where most of you are listening. And we've already heard from uh, the people of points east of that, Texas and, uh, and Pennsylvania, we have on board. And I'm calling, of course, from uh, beautiful Maui, Hawaii, another beautiful day in paradise. And our theme today is consciousness. I want to thank you for coming on board, whether you're listening by telephone or the web. Uh, I really uh, hope you enjoy yourself today and learn a little something, benefit from the practice we'll do at the end of the uh, event today. Uh, We'll probably go an hour, maybe a little less, maybe a little more, but that's what I shoot for. And again, I want to remind you that a replay of this event and all the past and future events will remain available. Um, The system that I use archives it for us and so that you don't have to keep track of all the different ID numbers. I'm sure you've noticed in the link that brought you to the web page, whether you're listening now on the web or came to the web page to get the telephone number, that ID is unique. There's a little number in there that changes for each event. So uh, later today or a week from now, a year from now, you could use that email link that brought you here today to come back and listen to the replay. You could even download it. In fact, we podcast these teleconferences also to people that subscribe to the old Inner Vision or Breakthrough Radio uh, podcast, pre-podcast. And later I'll talk a little bit about the new podcast that my partner Steve Snyder and I have been doing for a few months now here in Maui called Finding Yourself in Paradise. (coughs) And uh, tell you a little bit at the end of the event today about how you could subscribe to that, which frankly Steve and I think is the best stuff we've ever done. We, I must say, we have such a great time doing it, and uh, well, more on that later. First of all, before we get into our theme, I want to update you all a little bit on uh, the situation at KPFK, because you get a lot of email about that. A lot of folks uh, are wondering, what's the deal? And we've all been wondering, what's the deal? That's part of uh, working at KPFK, is it's... Sometimes I think it's a miracle that that radio station even stays on the air. Um, KPFK, as most of you know, excuse me, is uh, well. It, it certainly attempts to be very, very democratic, and there are many boards and groups that um, advise management and. Uh, there's internal power struggles of all kinds. I've I've been at KPFK for 14 years, and I've been through three or four general managers and six or eight program directors. They come and they go. Some take themselves more seriously than others, but um, it's it's a it's very difficult to manage there because again, the uh, ideal is to be so damned democratic and get input from every committee and group uh, that is involved in the darn thing. So to make a long story short, when Doreen and I decided 
last summer that we were going to move to Hawaii, uh, I told KPFK, and they said, well, have fun, we'll miss you. And then they came back a few weeks later and said, I understand you're, you want to drop in revision and that you're going to do this podcast, uh, but would you consider doing a different program? They came to us with that. And we thought about it, and I said, well, how about a show with my wife, Doreen, that's about current events, but we comment on current events, politics, and news features, and what have you, from the point of view of becoming more self-reliant and more personally responsible. Uh, Not from a right-wing idea of personal responsibility, but from a very progressive uh, idea as somebody who sees himself as part of community. Uh, And maybe you've heard the show. It ran for a while, a couple of months anyway, Friday afternoon at 3. Part of the deal was uh, management had approved the purchase of equipment for us to broadcast this program live from Maui, much as we're doing here now, but with high-quality broadcast lines. And it was an expenditure of a few thousand dollars. Uh, The first time I ever asked for anything, I have always volunteered. I've never taken a nickel uh, from KPFK. And most people don't, but uh, we asked for this equipment. It was a few thousand dollars. And it got approved, and then weeks went by, and it got rescinded. So that's sort of where we stood uh, for a while. Uh, now, there, I told them I just did not want to do a pre-recorded radio program without telephone calls. I want live calls. It's a very important part of the program, my idea of democracy, if you will. And so we're currently working that out. Uh Actually, I also went through a period where I was suspended for failure to complete a sexual harassment test online, if you can believe that. But uh, it was a failure of the test to work. I couldn't get the damn thing to work. So I appealed to them, but they, after a couple of weeks, rescinded my suspension. Yay! I'm no longer suspended as a potential sexual harasser or harasser. And uh, so that's been lifted, that's been cleared. And so we're now looking at uh, other ways to do the program. So stay in touch. We'll, we'll let you know more about that as, uh, as, as we continue on. That's the situation. They did a, a special program a couple of weeks ago. This past Friday, I think they did in, in our spot uh, a replay of uh, an anti-war demonstration or event and uh, may do some uh, of Doreen's programs, Profiles of Peace, and maybe some Best of Better programs for a few weeks in that Friday at 3, California time, Friday at 3 spot. And uh, maybe, I don't know, I'd like to think in three or four weeks we can go live with that. We'll let you know. But we'll always have this. I really like this whole idea of the teleconference via telephone or web, uh, Sunday afternoons at 1 o'clock L.A. time and, uh, you know, 4 o'clock Eastern, and uh, you can do the math. So I'm enjoying this, and 
the e from the email I'm getting, other people are enjoying it as well. Again, I want to remind you, those who are listening via the web, if you type your name in and uh, the city that you're in and hit the submit button, then I can see this and uh, tell that you're online. Oh, hello, Carol. A couple more people have come online. And uh, so that's good. So let's uh, let's talk a little about our theme of the day today, which is consciousness, and see if we can create a sense of what we're talking about. I upset a couple of Hillary Clinton supporters, I guess, with my email uh, this week. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. I didn't think that that was even going to be taken political, but uh, people love their candidates, I guess, and, and don't like me or anybody else pointing out their lack of consciousness. Uh, the fact that John McCain doesn't know uh, about uh, the Middle East, that he kept saying that Iran was training al-Qaeda, one of their bitter enemies, and he repeated it again and again and again, or that Hillary on four different occasions was talking about arriving in Bosnia with Chelsea and Sinbad under a hail of bullets at least four different occasions though the account in her book, already published, is very different. It caused the media to say, are they stupid or are they lying? Um, I, su- I suppose we could have raised that question about Barack. Is he lying about his pastor? Uh, s- somebody pointed that out to me in an email, but I don't think anybody's ever asked, is Barack stupid? Uh, and my whole point was not to talk about politics, not about who's stupid or who's lying, but to consider a third possibility. And that third possibility is that they're largely unconscious. Uh, a politician doesn't lie because in, in the same way that you or I lie, that's uh, where, where they decide that they're going to deliberately deceive somebody. It's just part of being a politician they they don't if 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 a politician was conscious enough uh generally speaking and I would include all politicians in this uh to want to avoid lying they would have to find another field of work i uh, this is just my feeling that uh, politics is such a, a corrupt field that there's really nobody in there that isn't willing to bend the truth and lie and play power politics and do what they need to do. So I just wanted to, and, and I still uh, am using this just as a pretext to uh, develop this idea that beyond the way we think, beyond our uh, reasoning capacity uh, and, and the decision-making of what is it that I'm going to say in this situation, beyond my motives, the reasons why I'm going to say what I say, beyond thought and motive, is consciousness. And I don't think most politicians are very conscious. I, I, I think there are exceptions. Certainly Dennis Kucinich is an exceptional politician. I don't think he is a politician. I think he's just a, a, a conscious being, more conscious than most, far more conscious than most in politics, who has chosen politics for whatever reason. 
is a way to make a difference. Whether Obama is uh, up to that level, I don't know. But certainly Hillary has uh, made it clear she's willing to lie to bend the truth. John McCain is willing to lie. I just think that's part of politics. Are you? <clears throat> that's the question. Are you? Or have you given that up? Uh, how hard are you willing to push a character or role that you play to please other people? How much of a people pleaser are you? How important is it that uh, other people like you or that they accept you or that they love or trust or respect who you are? How important is that to you? Most people are at a level of consciousness where they're still to some extent playing a people-pleasing game where through some sort of performance we try to earn from other people the acceptance that we're looking for. We're trying to earn a kind of a, an endorsement that allows us then to feel better about who we are because this person admires us, uh, this person likes us a lot, this person seems to care about us and respect us. And, and, and maybe if I can get a consensus out there, if I can jump through enough hoops and be accepted by enough people through my performance, then maybe, just maybe, I can feel good about myself. Well, part of what it means to be a conscious person and to separate, if you will, consciousness from thought and from feeling certainly is taking responsibility for things in your life, starting with your sense of self. It, it goes a lot farther than this, but it has to start with, I'll say it this way, a sense that we'd like to please other people. I'd like to make you happy. I'd love to put a smile on your face and hear you laugh at something that I say that I think is sort of clever. Okay, I'd like to please you. I'd like to make you feel comfortable and safe and happy. Nothing wrong with wanting to please other people. The, 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 the problem comes in when we need to please other people. And that's an indication that we're not as conscious yet as we should be. If we're still needing to please other people, to earn from other people a sense of our own identity and self-worth, that's evidence that some basic consciousness building has to happen, that we need to either raise or expand our consciousness. Now, Many of us, as far back as the 1960s, have heard about consciousness raising. Okay, uh, the Vietnam War teach-ins and uh, the civil rights work that was really um, uh, growing in those days often talked about consciousness raising to have higher levels of consciousness, or sometimes it's referred to as expanded awareness or expanded consciousness, either model, whether you're raising consciousness or expanding consciousness. Actually, I like the, the latter a little bit better. In all directions, <laughs> expanded awareness or expanded consciousness, in many ways begins with, I have choices. 
okay. If I was teaching a class and I could see you guys sitting in front of me, this is when I would look for the pencils to go up and people start to write. Consciousness, and you may want to write it down, the development of consciousness really begins with the realization that you have choices and a willingness to make those choices rather than play victim. All right. I have choices is the on-ramp to the development of conscious awareness. I am the one who chooses. A lower level of consciousness is I am a victim. I am a effect. I am a target. Life is being done to me, and I have to struggle against or try to control what's being done to me. All right. Now, we all slip into that from time to time. And, again, there is a certain reality to feeling victimized or helpless or having stuff that happens to us that we didn't create, seemingly. But, I, as I often say, whether you created a situation consciously, whether you created a situation, a circumstance or a relationship unconsciously, whether uh, you contributed to the creation of a certain situation or whether you really were blindsided by it. In metaphysics and philosophy, uh, we can take responsibility for creating our lives and still leave room for random events. It's, <laughs> you're not that good. <laughs> Neither am I. Stuff happens that surprises us. And so... I would say whether we create it, contribute to it, or get blindsided by it, we're always responsible. <clears throat> that means we're always able to choose a response. Metaphysics should not begin. The law of attraction, the secret, uh, thoughts create reality, you reap what you sow, all of that stuff, should not begin with a level of consciousness that says, how did I create this? How did I bring this about? Why did I do this to myself? What horrible karma is this? It needs to begin, it seems to me, with an understanding of the importance of looking at how I perceive and respond to the event. What am I going to do now that I find myself in this situation? And make choices. Hear me clearly. Make choices. I have choices. Maybe not in what's been done to me, but I have choices in how I look at it and how I respond to it. And that's very important. I look at uh, and often speak with people that are just getting into the field. Maybe they saw the secret once, or they've got a few human potential and personal development books on their shelves, and, and they're caught up, as many beginners are, in this idea of, responsibility is how did I bring this upon myself don't worry about how you brought it upon yourself that is not the important place to begin the important place to begin is now what do I do <laughs> now what do I do how many different ways can I look at this I have choices and how many different ways can I respond I have choices folks I would like to propose to you today and I 
I really don't expect every speaker on this subject to agree with me in total. But I'd like to suggest to you today that the development of consciousness to expand your overall level of awareness begins with making choices in your life about what am I going to do? How am I going to look at this? And what am I going to do now? I have choices. Don't waste time trying to figure out what you did to magnetize the situation in the first place. As we get older, as we get uh, more evolved and more conscious, maybe we can look back at that. But to begin with understanding that life is not so much what's done to us, as it is what we do with what's done to us, is a big quantum leap in the in, in growing or expanding or raising your conscious awareness. I have choices. Here's another concept that I'd like to put forward when we talk about consciousness. And again, metaphysically, this is our identity. Consciousness is who you are. And I think a good place to see this is in animals. Those of you who have pets, dogs or cats or some other some other pet, we like dogs and cats because they they seem to be so uh, domesticatable, so uh, loyal. In the case of the dog. Uh, so willing to trade their uh, freedom for uh, being fed and being petted really is what domesticating animals is all about. We take their fear away. We teach them to feel safe enough to love us. Uh, I'd like to do a show one time just on domesticating animals and what it means, you know, I think when when religious prophets and sages talk about love your enemy, what does that mean? And uh, how do you do that? Well, I think it's you stop scaring them, you stop frightening them. And that's, again, a uh, example of higher consciousness or expanded awareness that you could domesticate an animal that you could uh, I mean people have domesticated grizzly bears right General Ben <laughs> and how did you make the animal feel safe and uh, safe and relaxed you know you, you stop frightening the animal and you take away all of its reasons to be afraid of you but just consider engaging an animal a cat or a dog we'll just keep it simple it could be a horse or a guinea pig or whatever. But the animal suddenly, and listen to the phrase I'm going to use here, the animal, as you engage it, pays attention to you. This is another definition of consciousness. To be awake, to be alert, uh, to pay attention. It's a funny phrase, to pay attention. Uh, I could say concentrate, but that suggests some sort of super effort, like the animal isn't or doesn't need to concentrate on you to pay attention to you. It just needs to be aware of you. All right. 
So consciousness, again, as awareness, my argument here today is that it's much more than that, of course, beginning with choice. It leads to motive. It leads to identity. But when you engage uh, an animal in play, you get its attention. Uh, it doesn't really matter so much what the animal is thinking. And it's difficult for us to empathize with what an animal thinks. Not nearly enough research has been done, but it looks like most animals are very, very zen-like. And just, if they have an ability to think, and they do on some level, it's it's very much in the now, and it doesn't reflect upon the past or the future so much. In other words, it's not likely that an animal would wonder what it's going to have for dinner tonight. It might think food, but it's not going to reflect on what flavor. Okay? There's a saying that... Uh, Fishing tackle is made to catch fishermen, not fish. I think pet food is designed to please the people that buy the pet food, not the pet. The animal doesn't really care. I mean, some animals don't like some food, but they don't reason. But they are conscious, clearly. Do they feel? No question that an animal has feelings, a deep emotional nature. The animal is much more likely to rely upon its feelings than its thoughts. But I bring this up because I want to argue that consciousness is neither of those things, in an animal or in a person. Your conscious awareness, your ability to choose, to make choices, to be the one that can pause long enough and say, well, I could do this or I could do that, that higher level of consciousness that we don't see in animals that's available in us is what we want to develop. So as soon as what I'm saying is as soon as you get an animal's attention and you go over here, you know, you call your cat or you call your dog and they turn their head and they look at you, that's the consciousness, the, the awareness. Here's another word I haven't used today, the sentient. My nose is a little stuffy this morning. Forgive me. I don't know how that... <laughs> sentience. not even sure I can spell it. Sentience. Sentience. Awareness. Is it aware? Okay. And to what degree? There's a hierarchy of animals, you know. The, the, the animals we've domesticated tend to be the more sentient or the more aware uh, animal. That's, you know, it's interesting. We think less about... Uh, crushing a cockroach under your boot heel than uh, a dog or a cat or a horse. You'd be horrified if you, you know. Doreen was shocked the other day. She accidentally ran over a lizard and felt horrible. And, I, you know, that's one of the things I love about my wife, that she's so sensitive. But it wasn't a child. It wasn't somebody's dog. It was a lizard. Uh, we we run over ants and, and smaller insects every day with our cars and, and don't think much about it because the animal is not as conscious, it's not as sentient, it's not as aware. 
it's an interesting uh, concept in philosophy. There are there are uh, some in the East, the the Jams, I believe they call themselves, who actually wear surgical masks over their face so they don't accidentally inhale some microscopic critter, and uh, they would because they're believers not only in reincarnation, but transmigration. The idea that a human soul could come back as a cockroach or an ant or a mosquito, that's called transmigration. Uh, they're going to be very they're going to be very careful not to do any harm uh, to any animal on any level. They fail to make that sliding scale distinction. But in most of the world, and certainly in the West, we see a sliding scale. We do not value the life of an ant or a cockroach at the same level that we value the life of a squirrel. And yet a squirrel's life, for whatever reason, seems to have less value than your domestic house cat or your dog. Uh, you would never treat a horse, for example, um, not only because of its size, but just as its, its intelligence. Uh, the way you would, you know, swat a fly that's buzzing around your head. So what do we make, why am I bringing this up? And, and what does this have to do with these decisions that we make, uh, this hierarchy, if you will, uh, these ethics? It has to do with consciousness, the conscious awareness. And we figure as human beings, rightly or wrongly, I'm going to be clear. I'll leave it to you to decide whether this is good or or bad. But as little as we know in this society about the nature of consciousness, here's an example of its implication. Most people won't talk about it on this level, but you can create some pretty interesting discussions, I think, with friends and family about, hey, why do we treat insects as if they're inferior? And uh, I think what the conversation will finally come around to is that they're not as conscious, they're not as sentient, they're not as awake, they're not as alert, they're not making as many choices. Okay. The idea is as the animal's central nervous system evolves and we get near the top of that, oh, I don't want to say food chain, but the evolution of the consciousness of the animal, it makes more choices. It's more aware. Okay, Your dog, you take it off the leash and let it go, it has the choice to run for the hills or to stick around. Well, you feed it, you pet it, you, t- <laughs> you take care of it. A dog off the leash might initially run a little bit, but not far. It's going to stick around. It's making a choice with its consciousness to remain where it is because you're going to feed it and you're going to scratch it behind the ears. And that's another way of looking at consciousness. So there's two arenas so far that we've talked about. Consciousness as I have choices and consciousness in the various uh, animals and levels of consciousness that we see in the animal kingdom. In the same way, you can look at plants as being conscious or aware of themselves. Who remembers the book, The Secret Life of Plants? 
from the, gosh, I think the early 1970s. A fellow named Cleve Baxter wrote about just how conscious plants are. Now, do plants have choice? Wow, now you're getting down to it. This is why we have these kingdoms, the idea of the human kingdom uh, standing on the shoulders of basically the animal kingdom, but the animal kingdom is dependent upon and supported by the plant kingdom, all of which human animal plant is dependent upon and supported by the mineral kingdom, and does the mineral kingdom have consciousness most people would say no, but a metaphysician or a mystic would have to say yes. That everything is conscious in some way because of the fact that it is part of the one life. And that the one life, the one thing that religious people call God, but then separate as a being, but which the philosophical view, the esoteric the mystical or the metaphysical view says, oh no, it's the one life. It's the one, the ancient Egyptians used to say, the one thing Okay, is consciousness. So everything that exists has to have some level of consciousness, even rocks and dirt and stones and the ocean and that lake, and the sky, and the weather, and the deep interstellar space, maybe the earth itself, the Gaia principle, that the planet is aware of itself on some level, and we can see her emotional nature in the weather, for example, you see. So the mineral kingdom would not be as conscious as the plant kingdom, but the animal kingdom would be more conscious than the plant kingdom and the idea of humans having dominion, uh, caretaker status, not domination, but caretaker status, to have dominion over the lower kingdoms is to care for them because your life depends upon this life support system to recognize that there's consciousness on all levels is a very important part of all of this. Okay. And so, finally we get from choices, from the second point, this hierarchy of consciousness in the various kingdoms, to what may be the most difficult part of this to understand, and that's the way in which consciousness or awareness stands behind or above our thoughts and our feelings. It's one of the greatest breakthroughs of all in existence to become aware, whether gradually or all at once, that you are so much more than your thoughts or your feelings. We often get trapped or caught up in head versus heart. We have these internal conflicts often that are made out of, do I follow my head? Do I be reasonable and logical and rational? Or should I follow my heart? <coughs> Excuse me. 
and do what I feel, even if it's contrary to what I think. Well, who is the I doing the asking? That's the question. Should I honor my thoughts, or should I honor my feelings, or what weight do I give to each? Hey, who's asking the question? That's consciousness. One of the allegories that sometimes I use in class uh, to describe the metaphysics of the relationship of thought to feeling to behavior, the mental, the emotional, and the physical nature, is to think of thoughts as being like the steering wheel of a car. Uh, your thought determines your direction. Feelings are sort of like the pedals of the car. Fear would be the brake, and enthusiasm or passion, excitement, would be the accelerator. And, of course, the physical result is the car moves. The order is important, of course. People who don't know what they want but have a strong feeling that they should do something might step on the gas before they grab the steering wheel. And you'll go, but Lord knows where. On the other hand, if we know what we want mentally, intellectually, our thinking is clear, we could be pointed in the right direction with the steering wheel, but your foot is still on the brake. Or you're using the accelerator, but going very, very slowly. But all of it begs the question, who's driving the car? If your thoughts are the steering wheel and your emotions are the pedals, and the physical part is the car moving forward, then who's driving that I, that I? I am that I am, is the true identity of being the conscious, sensual, aware, awake, alert being that each of us truly is. And the benefits of understanding that is <laughs> it's got to start with choice. I have choices in the way I think. I even have the ability to choose whether I agree with this thought or disagree with this thought, and I am that I am. Okay, I am the one that can say no to this thought. You're not your thought. Imagine the implications. Imagine the consequences of some significant percentage of the world coming to understand that they have the ability to rise above their emotional and even to rise above their mental nature and be the conscious self that can choose to confirm or affirm a particular way of thinking or a particular feeling. And learn from, but then release those thoughts and those feelings that don't serve us in the long term. I am that I am. This is one of the central lessons in Hinduism. Uh, the Sanskrit phrase is tasvam asi. And I think with my stuffy nose this morning and the telephone and all, I'm probably not saying it right. Tat 
Tvam Asi. It means thou art that, or that is you, that is you. First thing a baby says, first thing a brand new baby begins to say is da, da, da. And of course, dads all get excited. Oh, he's saying da-da, he's saying daddy, or she's saying daddy. No, they're saying da, they're saying that, and that. They've just come into a world of separated form, and they're saying, oh, look, this thing, seeming to be separate from this thing, which seems to be separate from this thing. Da, 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 that, that, that which is not me, it's not this, it's that. And then only as that consciousness evolves, only as that human being devotes themselves to an understanding of themselves and what they're for in the world, could they possibly approach an understanding that the appearance of that being different from this is merely an appearance. That anything could be separated from anything else is only an appearance it's an illusion there is no that there is only this and certainly our politicians and our television pundits and most of the authors and speakers in our society are not going to address this it's, it's too much they fear for most people to begin to consider that they are the quality of self that can say yes or no to a thought. They can make choices. They can abandon the victimization and in the same way can choose feelings. You know, people will say, well, I changed my mind. Well, you used to be doing this, and now you're doing this. Yeah, well, I changed my mind. Far out. Or we'll say, I changed my behavior. That's two out of the three. People understand they can change their mind. They understand they can change uh, consciously their behavior. But the idea that you could change your feelings, we haven't got there yet. We don't have a phrase for, I changed my feelings. Some people might say, well, I, I changed the way I felt about it. But again, I think that's a, a rather high level of consciousness and requires a whole different understanding of the I. Finally, I want to mention before I go to the comments here, uh, the beginning of Eckhart Tolle's book, the power of now. He says, I wonder how many of you guys have read this. It's such a great book. I think he's done some great stuff, but the power of now. He says in the very beginning, he talks about waking up in the middle of the night being really depressed. And he said, boy, I'd been depressed before, but never like this. I was so depressed. I just wanted to I just wanted to end it all. And he heard himself say, according to the account in this book, The Power of Now, he heard himself say, I hate myself. When I feel like this, I hate myself. 
But then he had a second and then a third thought that I, I think is absolute genius. The second thought that came through was, if I hate myself, how many of me are there that I could hate myself? How many of me are there? And the third thought was, well, if there's two or more, maybe only one of them is real. And so which one is real? The myself that I hate when I feel like this? Or the I that rises above it. When you feel guilty, for example, and you have a hard time lifting yourself out of self-imposed guilt or shame, who are you? Are you the guilty one? Or are you the one that experiences guilt from the point of view of learning and changing and growing, I, I, I would hasten to say you are the latter. You you don't have to be stuck in the guilt of the shame. You can say, wait a minute, I'm the one that's choosing to rise above that. I'm the one that is learning through my guilt and shame not to do that anymore. Boy, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I won't make that mistake again. And that's a great way to rise above it to shift your identity from the one who thinks or the one who feels to the one who can choose how you think and how you feel. Now, you'll always have a thought stream. You know, there's the level of thinking where you apply yourself, the level of thinking where you're reading a book or or balancing a checkbook or ordering from a menu, applied thinking. But there's another level when you are not applying yourself, but just sitting in the rock chair on the porch, perhaps. Or you just turned off the television and you're just sitting there in the silence for a little while. Aware of a thought stream, another level. This is not applied thinking. This is just the noise in the background that most of our heads are full of thoughts all the time. So there's at least two levels of thinking. But consciousness is, in this model anyway, a third level where you can let go and be the one who looks at the way you think, whether it's applied thinking or whether it's just that mental stream that drifts by. And you can be the one that says, well, that's a silly thought. Well, that's a valuable thought. Well, I could learn from that. Oh, gee, this is a whole old, old thought pattern that I would like to release and be that I. I am that I am, you see. To be the one that makes the choices and to let go. This is indeed mindfulness. The approach to consciousness, the approach to making choices, the approach to raising or expanding your level of awareness is about choices and identity and choosing the higher identity, choosing not to be a victim, but to be one who initiates their behavior. 
one who is not simply what you think or what you feel in any given moment, but the consciousness that can let go of that and have a somewhat elevated perspective or a higher point of view where you see the bigger picture, you have more choices. I am that I am. And it requires this level of mindfulness or to detach from that which we hold on to so that we can rise above it and take a step back and and get the bigger picture, know and understand even more. That's expanded consciousness or, or heightened awareness. And it has a carryover effect. Once you've seen the bigger picture, uh, it, it's either it, it's easier to return there see, and to remember, wait a minute, there may be a higher point of view here, but all of it requires some sort of mindful practice. And this is usually called meditation. There has to be a practice of stilling the body and calming the emotional nature and quieting the mind. Yeah? If we're going to have this awareness of self as consciousness and not merely our thoughts and our feelings. I'd like to look at some of the uh, comments that folks have put up here. A lot of people just saying hello in addition to those I've already acknowledged. Uh, Peggy in Long Beach and, and Rebecca in Studio City and Here's one, uh, Tom in L.A. <clears throat> says, of all the varied theories of consciousness and human potential, um, which do I lend the most credence to? Well, the, the one I'm describing, I guess. Uh, this idea of consciousness begins with choice. And that you are not your thoughts. <laughs> you are the one that can choose your thoughts. It's radical. It's it's less religious. I think part of what puts some people off to this stuff is that it sounds uh, like uh, a religion. It sounds like uh, Eastern philosophy. It sounds like Hinduism to some people. Well, it is that, but it's also transpersonal psychology. It's uh, even humanistic psychology. To take responsibility for your feelings, for example... Uh, that's the biggest lesson there is for many people in their whole lives, to understand that somebody maybe stimulated a feeling, but that it's your feeling. Uh, and to choose, to understand the feeling, to choose uh, what you learn about yourself from a given feeling, that's consciousness. That's, that's, that's a much higher level of awareness, higher level of consciousness, than to do what most people do, which is, well, he made me angry, or she made me upset, or hurt my feelings, or whatever. That's really where it begins. Choice, for me, anyway, this is how I define it. Choices and how you think and how you feel be that one. Uh, let's see. Robert in West L.A. says, the way to love one's enemy is to become as aware as we can of what it is that our enemy makes us aware of in ourselves. Uh, in many cases, not all, but many, uh, what we loathe in another is something we recognize in ourselves. Yeah, that's a very important point, Robert. 
the way in which people mirror us. And uh, of course, the flip side of that, what we what we loathe of another, as Robert says, is probably something within us uh, that we don't like. What we love about others, obviously, is something that, in the same way, that we really love within ourselves. It takes one to know one. There's a high metaphysical principle. <laughs> it really is. And uh, in the schoolyard, it's, uh, I know you are, what am I? But in philosophy, it's what the self describes, describes the self. Boy, I love that. Uh, in, the, in the ancient Talmud, there's a phrase, uh, goes something like, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. The subjective essence of reality needs to be honored. The idea that we're watching the same movie is ridiculous. <laughs> we're all watching a different, we're all having a wonderfully unique experience here, even if we're sitting in the same room, uh, even if we're embracing each other uh, with loving and comforting hugs, we're having unique experiences, I assure you. Ten people watching the sun go down are having ten very different experiences of that sunset. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. Or, again, the Jacob Boma quote. It's, it's either Jacob Boma or Eckhart, uh, Meister Eckhart, who said, uh, what the self describes, describes the self. Very important uh, metaphysical lesson. Another uh, Robert in Burbank says, my struggle with choices is in finding passion in what I want as well as feeling that I deserve what I want. He goes on, he says, Thanks to you I've learned how my thoughts and emotions tell me about me, and this single fact has given me so much direction in choices. Uh, and thanks for the podcast, he says. So glad you're out there. Uh, Robert Burbank, well, thank you, Robert. And uh, deserving is an important issue. Uh, it's a curious one. Because I would say the question, do I deserve this? Am I worthy of this? Do I merit this or could I handle this love, <laughs> this blessing? Okay. Really uh, is a question of who is the I doing the asking. Uh at least that's what comes to me today because that's what consciousness ultimately is. Uh, a question of identity. Do I deserve it? Well, if the I asking the question is all of your thoughts and feelings, the separated body, the persona nature, the ego, well, then the answer often is no, you don't deserve it. <laughs> You're not worthy. Forget it. You'd screw it up if you did get it, you know, forget it. But if the I that asks the question is this higher self, this true self, uh, the soul, if you will, the awareness that is consciousness, not, not this I am, but that I am, the harmonious, inclusive I am, well, of course you deserve it, you see, just by virtue of the, question, the fact that you asked the question. <laughs> you deserve it, and you merit it, and you can handle it. You know, again, I think there's a great saying in philosophy and even religion about 
the universe never gives you or God never gives you anything that you cannot handle. Well, consider that in the area of blessings and, and wonderful uh, fortune and circumstance, maybe it's true that way also, that the universe never gives you anything wonderful that you don't deserve. Consider that. And let's see, uh, Robert in L.A. has three quick ones. God is the witness of the mind. I like that. I am that by which I know I am. That's another nice way of saying it. And, uh, oh, he helps me with the Hindu phrase, tat vamasi. And uh, thou art that. I'm not this. I'm not simply. I mean, I am this. I am my body. I am my feelings and my thoughts. But, gosh, that just scratches the surface of the I am. So thou art that, that you are that thing over there, that you put your attention on, that you're conscious of. You are that. You know, the, There's a great story in Buddhism about the enlightened Buddha, Siddhartha, showing up at a lecture, a speech, a presentation with a flower. And he sits with a flower and says absolutely nothing, but just sits in front of the assembly with the flower. And dozens of people go into ecstasy. They have mystical experiences as they experience the oneness of Buddha experiencing the oneness of he and the flower. To contemplate a flower, to to experience that wholeness, that completion, that at the very least connection is what is meant by the implications of consciousness beyond choices. This this whole idea of the warm life. Beautiful thought. Yeah well I'd like to do a little exercise and uh, let's see, where are we time-wise? It's almost exactly one hour into the program. So it's uh, 2 o'clock on the West Coast here. Let's take, for those of you that can stick around, just 10 minutes or so to do a little relaxation exercise. And consider the group that uh, is not just a group of people listening to us and participating here today. But consider that around the world, as you close your eyes now, as you close your eyes and take a slow, deep breath, and as you exhale, feel the letting go. Consider the group that is the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people right now on this earth that are meditating, that are in some level of contemplation or introspection, that are seeking an orientation with their spiritual source. And just without effort, imagine yourself aligning with that group of all of those human beings here on this earth right now that are meditating, contemplating, that seek to know themselves. Consider all of the people that are frightened on this earth right now. 
whether they're old people or little children, regardless of age, people who right now suffer unnecessary fear and anxiety. They may not know where their next meal comes from. They may not know when they'll have water again. And dare to open your hearts and to orient yourself or to align yourself with their humanity that you could effortlessly experience yourself radiating peace and love and harmony to people who right now in this world most need it. Imagine gently emanating a caring, loving, kind nature to all the frightened people in the world that they might be comforted somehow by this large group of hundreds of thousands or millions of people who right now are in some sort of meditation enter into that group another slow deep breath and consider on other planes of existence that which a Westerner might call heaven, or that one of an Eastern orientation might call nirvana, or the Buddhic flame, the, the home of the souls above and free of form, consider that there may be masters, saints, and sages, ancestors. of those I want to say who have lived before but obviously they live now above and free of form imagine orienting yourself effortlessly opening yourself harmoniously to including in your sense of group meditation not only the millions of people on this earth that are meditating right now in this moment, but the infinity of souls who exist in perpetual meditation and contemplation as pure consciousness, free of separative thoughts, free of the ebb and flow of the emotional nature, experiencing simple joy, not only filled with, but existing as an embodiment of love and light and peace. And allow your consciousness to expand from a sense of self and those you love to those who need your love who you will never meet to those above and free of form, who exist as love. Just open yourself 
to enlightenment or orientation or an inclusion, say to yourself, I am that. I am. Not simply this I am. In form, but above and free of form, I exist. I am that I am. I am consciousness. I exist as love. I am the peace that dwells as love as consciousness. And stand receptive to the idea. Imagine standing above you, but also beside you, in front of you, around you, as if you're in the center of an unbounded sphere of love and peace, an ocean of harmony. Standing open and receptive to an expanded level of awareness, to higher consciousness. And tell yourself that you can bring that with you back into the waking state. That elevated perspective, that higher consciousness. It says, I can choose my thoughts. I could choose to agree with this thought. I could choose to learn from this negative thought and then let it go. I can choose my feelings. I can choose my behavior. I can wake up. I can be more conscious. How intriguing that in order to wake up, we have to close our eyes quiet the mind, close our eyes and still the emotional nature in order to wake up, to be more aware. Consciousness, I am that I am. Your identity good place to begin. Is simply, I have choices. Identify as the one who chooses. A nice place to begin. Take just an extra moment to once again reconnect with everyone in this world, however you imagine it, who is frightened. who feels lonely. You can even expand that awareness from human beings to the animals, animals that are in cages, animals that are in slaughterhouses. Animals running from wildfires, whatever. And send effortlessly 
as you would comfort a child after a bad nightmare. Imagine gently emanating peace and love to those frightened people and the frightened animals. In the same way, imagine loving the environment as life support system, loving to your peaceful, harmonious countenance. The plant kingdom, from the mighty trees to the tiniest forms of plant life. And the mineral kingdom as well, that your understanding of the one life can be shared. That the ethers become ever more imbued with an understanding that there is only one thing at work in this entire universe, one mind, one heart, one existence from many points of view. And bring that elevated consciousness with you effortlessly as you now reorient yourself still to the material world, remembering where you sit, where you are, listening to the sound of my voice. Imagine moving effortlessly, slowly toward the sound of my voice, toward the awake state. And as it feels right for you, take a nice, slow, deep breath. And as you exhale, open your eyes wide awake and alert, rested and refreshed and feeling unexplicably really, really good (laughs) because you have choices, okay? It's a nice little exercise. I hope you'll remember it. I hope you'll practice it. And I hope you'll make it a point to join us every Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock California time. And every week I'll send you a little reminder. You can forward that to people. Send people to the Ageless Wisdom. There's a link in the bottom of the page. And click on free newsletter. If you put your email address and your name in that free newsletter button on my website, you'll get an invitation every week to this teleseminar. And again, after the event, a replay is available at that same link. Also in the lower right of the page, subscribe to podcast. Uh, I think we're having a little problem with the site today, so I'll just mention that it's there, and in the future we'll uh, certainly have that little problem fixed. For some reason, the subscribe page got a little funky last night, and the uh, technical people don't really work on Sunday, so we'll get that fixed for you and talk more about that in the future because I want you to know about the podcast I'm doing with Steve Snyder. Uh, Last week we did attitude. The week before we did gratitude. We did gratitude and attitude. Uh, This week, the show coming up on uh, Finding Yourself in Paradise is about how to deal with difficult people. And we talk about three different kinds of people, really angry people, pessimistic people, and sad and depressed people. And how do you deal with those people in your life? Uh, that's the uh, Finding Yourself in Paradise podcast, and you can get more information at focusedpassion.com or just push the button in the lower right where it says subscribe to podcast, and it'll take you to that site. I think the subscribe page is acting funny today, but at least you can get in and listen to some sample shows and see the videos, Steve and I, and uh, learn a little bit uh, more about it. So, Having 
said that, let me thank you once again for being with us today. For all of you who listened on the telephone, thank you very much. And uh, a whole bunch of new people here. This is always nice to see people you know. Ginny in Lansing, thank you. And my sister in St. Louis has been here all along, and she's enjoyed it too. That's very nice. That's a high compliment when your sister joins you for, <laughs> for something like this. Again, forgive my stuffy nose today. I feel fine. It's just a little morning allergy, and I'm going to go have some hot tea, and I'll feel a whole lot better. Uh, join us next week. Watch for the invitation in the mail. You can always email me in the interim. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Bye-bye. <laughs>